Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to have you all with us. And my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at LifeHouse. I'm so glad you're joining us online today. And I know some of you are at home on your couch or at the lake, or maybe you're at the ocean. Man, I hope you're getting a good swim in today. Or maybe you're around the world checking us out. But here's what I also know. Some of you decided to tune in for the first time, just investigate our church. And we just want to let you know that we love having you join us digitally. And also, we want to invite you anytime you're ready or want to, to come and check out our physical environment, because what you'll find is the people at LifeHouse are some of the best people in the whole world. We're so glad you're with us. We're going to get our service started in just a few moments. So grab a cup of coffee and we'll see you in just a few. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to LifeHouse. My name is Matt Brown. I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you're joining us digitally online or you're in the room, we are so glad that you all are with us. Now, I told you last week that I am in love with the Olympics this year. I love watching the swimmers, Dressel and Fink. They're like rolling in the gold medals. I love that. And I look today, we have more medals than anybody other country. And I love hearing our national anthem played every time it's played. That's so cool. But what I wish, what I wish is they would have have an Olympics for the normal 51-year-old man, because if they had a contest of driving you zero-turn lawnmower with one hand and holding a cold drink in the other, I would win every time. I'm telling you, come on, guys, we could do that, couldn't we? But that's not going to happen, so we're just going to keep cheering that on. But hey, we are so glad you are all with us, and hey, if you're checking us out, if you're joining us for the first couple times, and you want to connect with our church, you can just simply text LHNEW to 21000, and there'll be a super nice person on the other end of that text that will help answer questions and get you moving wherever you need to go. And we're going to give you a free gift, which really is just a bribe, but we really want to have those conversations with you. You can do that in the room or you can do that online. Um, so we have a great service today. Ryan Holiday, my man, is going to give the message. I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear Ryan. He's going to do a great job. And we're also going to sing a couple songs. And I was thinking about this idea of singing today, because how many places in our life do we gather with other adults? and students and teenagers and sing together other than church. Not very many, which makes singing together just a little strange because we don't do it very often. But you know this, there's power when you get a song caught in your head. Like the song from the old Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you wanted, but sometimes you get what you need. That has been rolling in my head all week. And you know, when I hear a song I really like, you know, I throw my hands in the air. And I, just, I was trying to do the Miley Cyrus song. I put my hands up. They're singing my song. The butterflies fly away. Bobbing my head like, oh, you guys got it. Okay, so it's not just the old guy that got it. I had that all figured out in my head and I didn't pull it off. Anyway, you have, when you have a song that just keeps running through your head, it's a powerful thing, right? And not all songs are useful, but we're going to sing a song today. We're going to sing a song today that talks about God's overwhelming, never-ending love for you. And I want to invite you to sing with us. Now, if you don't want to sing, that's okay. You don't have to sing, but I want to invite you to. Because what I would love for you to have that song in your head when the bumps of the week come and the downs hard, the hard times, the parts that get a little rocky, that, that song would just be clicking, hey, God's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love for me. And it may pay off for you this week. And the other thing you need to know is that our relationship with God is a love relationship. 
It's a love between a savior that gave everything for us and his children. And God sang his love song over us by creating us and dying on the cross for us. But you know this, love is never fully completed until it's expressed. And singing is one of the ways we express our love back to God. And again, you don't have to sing this morning, but I invite you to. Just simply be able to say to God, I I love you back. And even if you don't believe, it's a great little step to see where it takes you in your heart. This is a safe place this morning. With us, it's safe. And with God, it's safe. So however you can express your heart to him, I would invite you to do that. Because he loves you right where you are. Let's stand and let's sing our first song together. you 
Thank you guys so much for singing along with us.
You guys can have a seat. It's so good to sing that with you. And I hope you're humming, thinking, singing that song somewhere in your mind, your heart, out loud the whole next week. Um, and just so you know, that line about he leaves the 99 to chase the one down, if you don't know what that story is about, it's a story that Jesus told about a shepherd who left everything to find the one lost sheep. Which means God's never done with us. He's never not willing to come after us. He loves us so much in our best days and our absolute worst days that he's given everything to know us. And I hope you hold that song and that thought and that truth in your heart. Because we're trying to teach that to adults, to children, to the littlest ones we have in our church and in our community. I got an email from Megan Dickey, our children's director here at church. She's doing a great job um, with that environment. And she said, hey, just so you know, um, last Sunday, we had 12 brand new kids come to Wombaland and Upstreet that had never been in our church before. And just so you know, and I just so appreciate her letting me know this, that's been the trend all summer long. And I, I, I thought about that this week, and I was thinking about this at five o'clock this morning, that you know, there's this question you know, all over our country right now, is, is church gonna be able to pull it back in and keep going forward? And I hear that, and I think, yeah, because the next generation is showing up at two years old and eight years old and at 20 years old and at 40 years old, if you're 40 and you're here for the first time today. And I just want you to be encouraged that we're seeing amazing things happen in our church. And I get asked often, which I'm really grateful for, Matt, how can we help the mission of our church keep going forward? And you know this, the simplest way is to be generous to our church. And if you're interested in any way to being generous to our church, the easiest way to do it is just simply text, give now to 21,000. And you can give online, it's super easy. We also have boxes around the building that you can put money in if you just wanna support what's going on with just amazing ministries here at LifeHouse. But I say this all the time, and we say this all the time because it's super important to us. If you're new here, if you don't call this your church home, you don't need to worry about giving at all because we just want you to figure out if this is a place you wanna hang and be a part of and engage in. And if you decide to do down the road, then you can figure out the generosity part. But if this is your church, thank you for considering your being generous to what God's doing here. We're so very grateful. Well, listen, I want to pray for you. Um, and then we're going to kick it over to Ryan to lead us through the message today. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that we hang on to that truth. That you're always chasing us down. You're always coming after us. Not because you're angry, but because you love us so very much. And thank you for your never-ending love in our lives. And I pray, Lord, we'd accept that and then we'd share that love with other people. Help our hearts and minds to be open as Ryan leads us and speaks to us today and help us to apply what we need to do our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are looking at the finest specimen of exercise innovation in human history. Crafted from space-grade aluminum, Packed with cutting-edge technology, it has everything you didn't even know you needed. Diamond Grip Surface for superior traction, real-time heart rate monitoring, voice-activated entertainment console, and our patent-pending Cloud9 suspension system that will make you feel like you're running on air. Plus, this versatile catch-all surface allows it to be transformed into open-concept storage. The sturdy armrails are perfect for a standard coat hanger, and there's enough surface space to air-dry an average load of laundry, while doubling as a small child's jungle gym. With a variety of color options to match your home, it blends in so well, you'll forget it's even there. In fact, it's so spectacular, you won't even want to use it at all. And at the end of the day, you can sell it. Gently used. Well, hey everyone, my name is Ryan. I'm on staff here at the church. So good to be with you today. And uh, if you've been around here for any time, you, you may have seen that video, you may recognize that. Uh, I decided to bring it back today because I think it fits so well with uh, the direction we're kind of going in, in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, but really, I, I just think that's funny, right? How, how true is that? How many of us have bought a piece of exercise equipment and used it to hang a coat hanger on? Anybody? Come on, let's be honest. Come on just gathers dust and sits in the basement, right? Um, we'd call that silly, that we do things like that, right? But we'd also call it 
uh, gently used. We call it gently used. And gently used just means that we bought it new, right? And uh, just didn't really use it, right? The thing is, we believe in doing what we're going to do. We believe in exercise, right? We believe in fitness. We believe in health. We believe in all those things. Um, but we don't actually follow through. And they're gently used because we, we believe it, but we actually didn't use the thing. And, you know, we can find great deals on gently used items because people don't actually use things that end up gently used. And, um, and this, isn't this a human truth? Isn't this just true in so many areas of life that people don't act on what they believe. We don't act on what we believe, do we? Um, isn't that true? Just in so many areas of life that believing, while it's a great starting point for something, believing makes very little difference when it comes to our health, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to nutrition, all those things. Believing doesn't actually help us change at all. Um, now, I gotta tell you, I love Christmas lights. How's that for a good transition? I love Christmas lights. I'm not ashamed to talk about Christmas lights in August. Um, I love to do ridiculous things with my Christmas lights during the holiday season. Uh, I'm not Clark Griswold level, okay? I, I'm not there yet, but that's something to aspire toward. Um, but I've done some things with my little Christmas light collection like this. Um, this was when we lived in, my, my wife and I lived in Columbus. This is the first thing I did. I, I got as many Christmas lights as I could and strung them real tight around each branch just to try to make them as highly concentrated as possible. You know, I was really going for the like, ah, you know, uh, you know, blind, blind, blind your, uh, your eyes out. And uh, that was great until the next morning when uh, my, I came out and my neighbor had written swear words in the snow in front of my house because those lights were so bright and they shine in his bedroom window and kept him up all night. Okay, that's, there's a partial truth to that, right? Um, that was great. Well, and, and then uh, we, my wife and I moved back to Van Wert here about five years ago and the house we moved into has, we've got this like 25 foot flag, flagpole. It's like 25, 30 foot flagpole and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll make a giant Christmas tree out of the flagpole using my Christmas lights. And so that's what I did. What do you think? Pretty good, thank you, thank you. I, I need a little self-esteem here this morning. So yeah, I'm gonna make a Christmas tree and I thought that is really great. And that was great until January of this last year when I went to take them down. Because you see, when I got them up, I, uh, I used the, the rope on the flagpole and I attached all the lights at the top and then raised up the flagpole. It was like the, you know, the opposite of the Times Square, the ball dropping, it was like the lights going up. And that was a Clark Griswold moment because we plugged them in and it was, it was glorious, right? Um, but when we went to take them down, I went to pull the rope and realized that's stuck. That rope is stuck and those lights are not coming down. I, I tugged and pulled and yanked and those lights were not coming down. And I, I sat there and it hit me. I realized, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. I, these aren't coming down. I'm gonna have to go to Ace Hardware and pay $200 and rent one of those lifts and get up there and put for Christmas lights, for stinking Christmas lights, I'm gonna to have to spend 200 bucks. And so I believed, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to go do that. But I didn't act on that. I said, I'm, I'm gonna find a different way. So my first idea was to go get two 25 foot ladders, which do not exist by the way, those don't exist, but I thought I'm gonna find them. Get two of them, get a buddy, he'll go on one side, I'll go on the other side, we'll lean the ladders up against the pole, brace it, and like counterbalance the weight. And I'm not an engineer, but sound, this sounds like that would work. And uh, that was my idea. And climb up and, and we'll unstuck, uh, unstuck it. And my wife said, you're a moron. <laughs> she said, you're going to die. You're going to fall and break your neck. And I said, you're probably right. So, so I, yeah, I believed I needed to go to ACE and do that. But I, you know, I didn't act on that. So March comes along. I still have my Christmas tree up on my flagpole. March comes along. And I have another idea. So at this church, at Lifehouse Church, we have a lift, one of those lifts that goes up and some of our maintenance guys drive it around and fix things. And I said, I'm going to hijack the lift. I'm gonna drive it out of this building. I'm gonna drive it down Westwood Drive and down Irvin Road to my house. And I'm gonna do it at like two in the morning so I don't block traffic and so maybe I don't get arrested. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save 200 bucks that way. This is what I thought. And I was, so I went to my boss's office lead pastor Matt Brown. I said, Matt, uh, I have a little problem. I have a little Christmas light problem. I'd like to take the lift 
and drive it to my house and take them down. And he said, do you like your job? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He said, you're not taking the lift. And I was like, okay. So three more months went by and June hit and summer was here and my Christmas lights were still up. So I finally broke down and went to Ace and rented the lift and took it down. And that's the end of the story, right? But I, I believed, I knew what I needed to do, but I did not act on it until June. I should have left them up at that point. I was just talking to somebody in the back. I should have left them up. I mean, it's almost, you know, we're closer to Christmas now, but took them down. But it wasn't believing that made the difference for me. It was doing that made the difference. Doing makes the difference in our lives. Isn't that true? Um, how many, we go back to exercise a minute. How many have exercised with a bad attitude? How many have exercised with a bad attitude, right? We can do that and we can believe that this is not helping us at all. I'm gonna go exercise anyway. And you know what happens? It actually does help. You know, belief is not what makes the difference. It's actually doing that makes a practical difference in exercise and in so many areas of life. And, and one thing in a minute, but, but here's another truth as well. Having a partner makes a difference too. Isn't that true with exercise? How many of you have uh, you know, had a workout partner, you've been a part of a team sport, a group fitness class, anything where you've been working out with somebody else? Isn't it so much easier to get out the door when you've got, got somebody to do that with? You know, without that, I mean, how many of us would just stay in bed and not put our shoes on and go to the gym or go work out? It's so much better when you have a partner because there's accountability. Because accountability counts. Accountability really makes a difference in every area of our life. And this is true in faith as well. It's true in faith as well. So uh, if you consider yourself a Christian, we'd all say every Christian, every Christian actually believes, right? If, if you would say, I'm a Christian, you would say, I believe certain things. And if you put a bunch of us Christians in a room like we are today, we would have uh, some shared common beliefs. But the truth is that believers, even though we believe, we don't actually always act on what we believe, do we? You know, we, we believe something and it can be hard for us to act on that. And it's just like exercise, right? It's just like exercise. We know, we know what we should do. We know what we believe. You know, if you, if you read the New Testament, if you look at what Jesus said and you say, yeah, I believe that, but then we don't actually do it. We don't actually forgive. You know, we don't actually love our enemies. We don't actually give. We don't actually put others first and, and on and on and on and on and on. But when we look at what Jesus actually said, and he, he said believing is just a starting point. It's acting on that belief that makes a difference. It's what, it's what we do with what we believe. And if you've been around LifeHouse for any, any amount of time, we hope you know this. And if you're new, we, we want you to know this, that we've never been content here just to believe. Believing's great. It's the starting point. But we've never been content just to believe and sit in the pews and raise our hands, sit in the chairs, raise our hands. Um, we want to act on that belief. And the New Testament word that Jesus uses for this is this word right here. It's this word follow. And follow means actually doing something, right? To follow, to follow Jesus means you actually have to do something about it. It's following, not believing, that makes your life better. And it's following that makes you better at life, following Jesus. But we can't follow Jesus in isolation. It's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. And the Apostle Paul, a, a guy who wrote about half of the letters in our New Testament, he, he talked about this. And he said, you cannot follow Jesus in isolation. Um, the Apostle Paul was, uh, it was actually a guy who hated Christians. It was his life's mission to kill as many Christians as he could. And about three to five years or so after Jesus' Uh, Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle Paul became a Jesus follower. And so, you know, he's, he like wanted to make up for lost time and did so many great things and, and again, makes up about half the New Testament. But when you read the letters that he wrote, um, he talks about following Jesus as a relational thing. And he uses this phrase a lot called, says one another when talking about other people, one another. And so I went through and put together a list of, uh, in his writings, just ways that he talks about one another. And this is, this is my one another list, and I want to share this with you. The one another list, this is, and Paul says, this is what following Jesus actually looks like, okay? It's forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, bear 
with one another. If we're Jesus followers, Paul says, this is what it looks like. And there's so much more. And, and you might be tempted to say um, that following Jesus, you know, isn't it, can I just, can I just go to church and go home and pray, you know, I'll pray some and read my Bible a little bit and, uh, you know, just not be a jerk to people. Like, isn't that, isn't that kind of good enough? And Paul would say, no, you know, this isn't a solo sport. This is a team thing. It's not enough for us to believe privately. He'd say, we have to behave publicly. It's not enough just to believe privately. We have to behave publicly. Again, belief, it doesn't make the practical difference. It's doing that does. And uh, this idea is, this is a big deal to me. It's something that I, I get behind and I'm kind of passionate about, this idea of doing life together in community. Um, you see, I, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in an era of, of something that I call a vertical orientation to Christianity, okay? A vertical orientation to Christianity. And in other words, that just means that looked like maturity was being moral, you know? Spiritual maturity was behaving well. And it was my relationship with God was between me and God. And it was, I'm looking at God, eye to the sky. You know, God, I'm good with you if you're good with me. And uh, who cares about all these other people over here? But, you know, it's just me and you. And if I'm right, then you're right. And, and that's called vertical orientation. And those are all good things. I mean, trust me, those are all good things. But that's not enough. And, and I believe, and I found myself trying to be good, but found myself slipping into this vertical orientation and, and I found myself being a little self-righteous because I, I experienced this and this is true, that vertical orientation can lead to being self-righteous. And we all know people that we'd, we'd, we'd consider you know, kind of self-righteous, um, very vertical oriented, very, I just gotta stay on the straight and narrow and I gotta be righteous and it's, it's not so much about here, but I just, I just gotta be right with God. Again, all good stuff. But if you read the New Testament, faith is nothing like that. Faith is not just a vertical orientation. It's not just me and God. It's not just this direction. We need other people. But this mentality leads to all kinds of, of isms, of legalism, of, of racism, judgmentalism, self-righteousism. I just made that up. Uh, me first-ism. You know, God's gonna get them-isms. God's, you know, where it's like, they're the sinners over there. God's going to get them. I got to just stay on my straight and narrow path, right? Vertical orientation leads to all of those things. And Jesus would say, dude, it's not about that. It's about living your life and loving one another so that other people look at you and say, wow, look at how those people are loving each other. Look at how they are treating the one another's. That is how people see God through us. And so um, maybe you felt this. But maybe you've opened the scriptures, uh, like I have, and you found something different. And so we're going to go to the book of Hebrews today. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And the book of Hebrews was written, written by an author who's unknown to us. But we know that the letter was written um, in the time of, of Paul and was written to a group of Jewish Christians. Okay? And the author of Hebrews, we're going to hop in in verse 19, had this to say to his audience. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... And pause right there for a second. This, this word, this phrase, the most holy place, um, it was a Jewish audience, and so the, the audience knew exactly what the author was talking about. You see, the Jews worshiped in a, a building called the temple, and in the center of the temple was a place called the most holy place. And it was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain, by physical curtains. And inside the most holy place is where God dwelled. And only uh, high priests could enter into the most holy place. But what the author is saying is, hey, now that temple system is gone. We don't have to do it that way anymore. Now through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we have direct access to God. So let's go on. The author continues. He says, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So new living way, not an old and a dead way, the way, we made, the way people made peace with God before was sacrificing animals. You'd have to sacrifice animals to get right with God. And he said that, that, that way is dead and gone. The sacrifice has been made. And again, this curtain, the curtain was a physical curtain that hung, that separated the most holy place. And, and now Jesus' body, his body is the curtain. And we have access to God, direct access to God through Jesus, through what he did 
for us in his sacrifice, his death on the cross. We didn't need to sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus said, I'm going to make the sacrifice once and for all. And through that, you can have access to God. So everything is different. So the author continues. He says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. And, and draw near to God, you know, so um, this phrase is actually a very vertical phrase. You know, we were, you know, we were talking about vertical orientation. This is a vertical orientation phrase. And the author of Hebrews, as we're going to see, really pivots back and forth between vertical and horizontal. Okay? So there's a place for both. It's not either or. It's not one's good and one's not good. It's, it's both and. You've got to have vertical and horizontal as well. Okay? But then he pivots in the next little piece. He says, let us hold unswervingly. Unswervingly. Let's all say that word together. Unswervingly. I love that word. We don't ever use that. It means unwaveringly. Um, and so he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And so the author was saying, draw near to God, vertical, but then he's saying, all right, come on back to earth, back to earth, back to planet earth. We're going to take what we have, this relationship with God and make it horizontal. We're going to make it practical. We're going to make it doable to one another. And unlike private beliefs, which is this way, acting is this way. Then he goes on, he says, and let us consider or just explore how we the next slide, may spur one another on. And there's Paul's phrase, right? One another. This isn't just a, a vertical thing. This is a one another thing. And, and I love this word spur. So we don't, this is another word we don't really use much. Um, and what spur means, we're not talking about these spurs. We're not talking about those spurs. Okay. No Tim Duncan, no Manny Ginobili. I actually just, I'm, I'm making sure the guys are with us. You know, throw some, throw some basketball up there. Guys, you with me? Just tracking today, okay? Not these spurs, but we're talking about this spur, okay? And this is a spur, and this is back in the day, horse riders used to strap these things on their boots. It's got this spike, and they would dig the spur into the side of the horse to make the horse go in the direction that the rider wanted it to go, and so when the author is talking about spurring one another on, this is, this is actually the picture that he wants us to feel, right? In relationships, he's saying spur one another on, provoke one another, irritate one another. How would you like to have a spur dug into your side? How would that, how would that feel to you, right? That would not feel good. But that's what he's saying. Um, he's saying if you have a friend that you have a relationship with, You've earned the, earned the right, you have access to that person, and that person's drifting. Spur them on. Irritate them. Get them going in the direction out of love because you love that person. Get them going in the right direction. If, you, uh, if there's a couple that you're friends with and you see they're struggling, you know, and you have access to that couple, spur them on. Dig into their side. Get them going in the right direction for their sake. Right? If you have a friend and, and who has a, a kid that's really struggling, lean into that person. Spur that person on. Spur that kid's son on to, to doing, in the, doing the right thing. Um, but spurring each other on is a very relational thing. It's not easy, but it's a relational thing. And uh, again, this is great, but it takes this to really get us to where we want to go. And so the author continues on. He says, spur towards what? Spur toward love and good deeds. That's what we're spurring toward. We're not spurring towards pain. We're spurring toward love and good deeds. And love and good deeds is just belief in action, Right? It's belief in action. We, exercise equipment, we have to use it, right? It's not enough just to buy a piece of equipment and keep it in the basement. We actually have to use it. You know, it's not enough to believe that, my goodness, it's, it's May and my Christmas lights are still on my flagpole. It's not enough to believe that I have to go and rent a lift and take those lights down for it to actually make a difference. We gotta do something. Believing does nothing practically. It's just the starting point. And here's what I think. I think chances are, Chances are, if we are not in community with other believers, other intentional relationships, chances are we won't do this very well, this love and good deeds thing. Chances are we won't do that well without people spurring us on, people encouraging us to live out our faith so that we actually forgive. You know, we just don't feel guilty and think I should forgive my coworker or uh, you know, instead of just thinking, oh, I need to apologize to my wife. No, actually apologizing to your wife and growing and moving forward. 
Um, we, we need one another to do that. Um, now, the author of Hebrews, he, you know, this is, this is pretty strong language, pretty of, maybe even offensive, um, but he really gets up in our grill because this was going on at the time as we continue on. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So at the time this was written, this was happening. And is this not happening today? Uh, and if I, uh, you know, when I grew up, and maybe you did too, you, you went to church uh, perhaps, and you heard pastors use this verse uh, as a way to say, come to church on Sunday morning. Don't give up meeting together. Come to church on Sunday morning, sit in the rows, listen to the talking heads like me, and, and then go home. But this is not what the author was. The author was not talking about Sunday morning church, right? The author is saying you can't afford to stop meeting together. You can't afford to stop spurring one another on in your faith because you know what's going to happen is your faith is going to get impacted. Your faith will start to erode. And, and what the author says and what Paul would say and what Jesus would say is this idea of Lone Ranger Christianity. You know, I'm going to go off and do it on my own. I'll just, you know, watch messages online and, and pray by myself and all that stuff, which is all good stuff. He said, hey, you don't get it. You know, you, you don't really understand faith. You need one another's, and there are some one another, maybe more importantly, there are some one another's out there that need you. And we never mature, never mature past the point of needing that, no matter how far along we are in our faith. Because you see, what I believe is that there is a divinely designed correlation between community and faithfulness. Let me say that again. There's a divinely designed correlation between community and faithfulness. And there are two reasons that I believe this and I know this is true. And the first is if, if you've drifted away from your faith at any time, and, and to be honest, all of us have, all of us that are Jesus followers, we've had peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows and we've drifted away from our faith. And, and I can tell you from my own experience, times when I've, I've drifted in that direction, that drift in my faith started because I drifted away first from other Christians, other believers. Maybe that's true of you too. That when you noticed your faith drifting, you realized, man, I haven't, I haven't been around other, other Christians that are intentionally spurring me on. That's how it starts, and eventually our faith erodes over time. But, but the second thing, second reason I know this is true is that Jesus, um, in, in one of his kind of final meetings with his disciples, he had 12 disciples that were kind of his, his crew, his guys, and he met with him not too long before he was crucified and all that. Um, but he was talking to his disciples about uh, heaven, okay? And this is in the book of John, John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. And I love this interaction um, because Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, had this to say in response to Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are. We're, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Thomas is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. I don't know where you're going. You didn't give us an address to put in Google Maps. Like, I've, I don't know where you are going at all. Right? So Jesus answered Thomas and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus continues. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus says, if you know me, you know my father. And uh, what's next is great. Another one of Jesus' bright-minded bright -minded friends, Philip, has this to say to Jesus. He says, Lord, just, just show us the father and that will be enough for us. So Jesus just said, if you know me, you know the Father. And Philip's like, I don't understand the things you say, Jesus. I rarely do. You are oftentimes confusing. I, I don't get it. Just, just show me the Father. It's like Michael Scott. Like, just tell me like I'm an eight-year-old, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and Jesus answered Philip. And he probably did the face. I can just imagine Jesus doing the face palm. Like, oh my goodness, these guys. What, when I'm gone, what's going to happen? Uh, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, how can you say, show us the Father? And when Jesus said this at the time, and we don't really get this, but this was blasphemous. Jesus was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was blasphemous for Jews at the time. 
But Jesus is saying, bro, in this life, I am as close as you're gonna get to the Father. If you look past me, you look past God. I'm it. I'm the closest picture you got to understanding God. And so Jesus is crucified, he rises, he, he commissions the church, and he leaves, he's gone, peace out. And the body of Christ, Jesus' body, is gone from this earth. And so this is where the transition happens. And Paul, in one of his letters to, in 1 Corinthians, he said this, he says, Paul says, now you are the body, you meaning me, and you meaning you, and all of us, all of us one another's, you are now the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. We collectively, Jesus' body is gone, we are the body of Christ, okay? So, just like Jesus said, when you've seen me, I, you've seen the Father, that's as close as you get. You may not agree with this, but I would argue now that we are as close as we get. We are as close as we get to seeing the Father. We are the picture of the Father to those around us. And Jesus said, he said, you'll have the chance. You'll have the chance to take care of one another. And when you take care of one another, you take care of me. And we'll say to Jesus, Jesus, when did I, when did I see you in need? And when did I see you needed clothing and, and needed help? And Jesus would say, when you helped one of these, my brothers, you helped me. And so we'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying the way I treat other people, Jesus is the way that I treat you. The way I help other people is the way I help you. And Jesus would say, yeah, yeah, you are, my, you are now my body. You are the body of Christ. And so the moral of the story is this. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, us, me, you, you will eventually feel isolated from the Father. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, you will eventually feel isolated from the Father. And if we choose to abandon community, abandon one another's, drift away, our faith will eventually drift away as well. That's, that is just human nature. That is what happens. And why is that? Why is that? Because faith, faith comes alive in community. Faith comes alive in community. It's where it comes to life. It's where, where you can see your faith working. It's where you get challenged to see your faith working, where you're encouraged to see your faith work. Um, without community, we tend to tend towards being self-centered, self-focused, self-righteous, all those things. And I, I, I kind of put this all together. I, I'm just going to read this to you. This is, I'm going to read this phrase to you that just describes this. Okay, I'm going to read this. People who think they're better than other people haven't taken time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. One more time. People who think they're better than others, other people haven't taken the time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. Now, isn't this true? Have you guys experienced this? Right? You may not know somebody and, and, and we, we, listen, we get judgmental, don't we? We can judge from the outside, but when we sit down with somebody, we sit down with somebody in a circle in community and we get a chance to hear their story, hear their background. Um, and if we're in an emotionally healthy place, don't we sometimes, aren't we like, oh yeah, I get it now. I, I hear that. I hear your background. I hear what it was like growing up. I hear what it was like in that family situation or this and that, and now I get it. And this happened all the time in the first century. In the time of, of Paul, believers came together. And this, at the time, man, it was slaves, it was free men, it was rich, it was poor, it was men, it was women. That didn't happen in many places besides the church. And these, these people would gather together to spur one another on. And the thing they had in common wasn't power or wealth or social status. You know, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And that was a beautiful thing. It was unusual. It was pleasing to the Father. And that is still pleasing to the Father today. So let's wrap up Hebrews. The author continues on. He says, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And the author's like, you stop meeting together? Like, what are you doing? This is not a solo thing. Faith is a team sport. It's divinely designed one anothering. I love this phrase, encourage. Encourage just means to instill courage in someone. So when you meet with people, when you gather together, you're, you're encouraging them. Um, why? 
Because it takes courage to live out our faith, doesn't it? In our workplace, it takes courage to live out our faith at school or at home or in our family. It takes courage to, to do something, not just, not just believe it, not just know you should, but to actually do something. It takes courage to do the unselfish thing, the generous thing. And following Jesus is about doing, not just believing. It's not just about the vertical relationship with Jesus, it's about the horizontal relationship with others. So let's wrap this up. We're gonna give you Hebrews all together. So this says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It continues, said not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, Here's the question for us. It's August 1st. Man, it's August. Crazy. We're starting a new school year pretty soon. You know, we'll be heading out of summer pretty soon. Uh, maybe you have some life transitions. Maybe you're changing your jobs. Maybe your, your family situation is changing. Um, and my question for us is this. Is anyone else outside of family spurring you on to live out your faith? Is anyone, anyone outside your family spurring you on to live out your faith? Anybody encouraging you? Anybody that you've given access to help spur you along? That you've given permission to spur you and, and help you go in the right direction? And listen, family's great. I love my family. My family's here. Um, but isn't this true that, that we oftentimes need intentional environments in order to grow in our faith? We just, we need that intentional setting to do that. So two other questions to consider. First, have you given up meeting together? Have you given up meeting together? Secondly, have you ever, have you ever met together? Has your entire Christian experience been this? Walking into a room just like this, sitting in a row just like this, listening to a talking head just like this, right? Listening to a few songs, some of which you like, maybe you didn't, you know, then the person asks you to give, then you walk out and you get on with on the rest of your life. Has that been your entire Christian experience? Have you ever been in a circle? We say all the time that circles are better than rows, and we say that all the time because we actually believe it. We, we know that's true. We know that real faith, things happen in circles that will not happen in this room, that will not happen in rows. And, and listen, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not, trust me. Um, but I want what's best for me I want, to I want to not just believe, I want to act on what I believe, and I want that for you too. I want the best for you. I want God's best for you, and you can find more fulfillment and more growth and more relationships, more connection when you circle up in circles with other people instead of just sitting on in rows. But again, it's not just believing that does it. It's acting. And, and the setting here at LifeHouse that, that happens best is a group, and a group is where you'll be encouraged to act on what you believe. It's where the rubber meets the road, right? It's where life change really happens. It's where you can take what you hear on Sunday morning and actually do something with it and get encouraged to do that. Um, and, and listen, I know there may be some people here, maybe a lot of people, that you're not sure what you believe. You say, I, I'm not gonna get in a circle because I don't even know what I believe. Well, listen, a circle is one of the best places you can be to ask those questions. In this setting, in a, in a church setting, circling up is a great place to do that. And listen, I know, uh, I was just talking to some people last week, I, I know COVID and everything that we've been through in the last year and a half is causing a lot of reevaluation. You know, maybe you feel this in your own life, I feel it in mine, um, where it, it's making us say, what, what do we wanna give our time to? You know, we're, where are we gonna prioritize things? What are we gonna do with our lives? There's a lot of shifting and transitions happening. And I feel that. And maybe you do too. So I'd ask you, man, where, where is intentional community going to fit into that? How does that play a role in what your life looks like in terms of spurring one another and being spurred on toward growth? And man, we don't have time to exercise, do we? We don't but we do it because we know it's good for us and we may not like to do it, but when we do, we get the rewards. And I know a group, guys, I know a group, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's a commitment, it is, it's time. You're getting together three times a month 
It's, it's a thing. But again, we make time for the things that are important to us, the things that we know are good for us, and we're rewarded in the end. And so we're just, we're, this is the perfect time. If you've never been in a group before, you've, hear, you've heard us talk about this, you know, maybe you're sick of hearing about this, but maybe, maybe now's the time for you to have the courage to just take that step and just see, just try it out. Just see if all these things that I've said today and that you've heard are actually true because you got to experience it for yourself. And uh, we're getting ready to launch some groups here this fall. We're going to launch some three-week groups in mid-August. So just a couple weeks, we're going to launch some three-week groups. So just three sessions. There's a three-week group just for men and a three-week group just for women. And so this three-week group is a great way to just dip your toe in the water. You've never done anything before. You've never circled up. Come to one of these three-week groups. You'll get you a good taste for what community is like, okay? And then in September, after Labor Day, we're going to launch nine-month groups. And we're going to have nine-month groups for married couples, just for men, just for women. And we're going to ask you to commit to the school year and, and be in a group and circle up for a school year and just see if your life's not better because of it and you've not made other people's lives better. And there's always, in this nine-month group, there's always a test period. The first month is a test period. You can try this out, and if it's not for you, go on and do something else, right? But great opportunity this fall. The three-week groups, the nine-month groups, you can do one or both, um, but hop in a group. And if you want to get more information um, and if you want to sign up for a group, registration opens today. You can just get your phones out right now, get your phones out right now, and you can text the word CONNECT to 21,000. If you text CONNECT 21,000 right now, You'll get a link and it'll take you to our group's website and you'll see all the listings, the dates, the details, all of that. Again, three-week groups mid-August, nine-month groups in September. And also, if you, uh, maybe you've been in a group for a while, maybe you've never been in a group and you say, I I'd be interested in leading a group. Um, I'm telling you, and if you've been in one, you've experienced this, that the best groups start with really good leaders and really good leaders is a great way to have a healthy group. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to, to be a good leader. That's not what a leader is in a group. You don't have to feel like you have to all the answers. You just have to be able to facilitate conversations with other adults, okay? You just basic people skills, and you can be a leader. So if you're interested in that, just let us know, and we provide all the training, all the resources, everything you need to do that well. Um, but guys, let's, I want to encourage us. Let's not just believe. Let's just not come in and sit and believe. Let's act on what we believe, because believing is just the starting point, right? It's acting that makes all the difference in the world. It's, it's doing. Can you imagine what your life could look like in the next year? One year from today, you're back in here, you're sitting. Can you imagine what your life could look like if you have a little courage and put yourself out there? Take a step, hop in a circle, see what happens. Can you imagine what our church could look like? Can you imagine how many more kids and adults could be impacted if we say, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna actually do something about it. It's amazing to think what that could look like for you and for us in our community as we go. Let me pray for us. We'll get you guys out of here and on your way. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, thanks for your sacrifice for us that we have direct access to our Father through you, through what you've done. And uh, I thank you for everybody in this room, everybody watching online. I thank you for the way that you are working in their lives, even if we don't know it. And I pray that you'd, uh, that you'd give us courage to do that. Give us courage to not just be believers, but be doers and followers. Give us strength to do that. We need that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you guys again so much for being here today. Have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week. We'll see you guys next week. We love you. Thank you.